So as the COVID crisis cut in, our, our, our customer counts dropped precipitously, and we began to think, well, uh, people just want safer means to buy. And so we now offer two channels to access the Saturday market. You can come and enjoy, you know, it's clearly not Eastern market-like crowds, but it has the semblance of Eastern market. Or you can go online and pre-order and pick up a box that's paid for and someone puts it in your trunk, you don't even have to get out of your car. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of Region Ahead, a podcast from SEMCOC, the Southeast Michigan Council of Governments. There are a number of special places in Southeast Michigan. At SEMCOG, we sometimes refer to them as our regional assets, because while we might come to take them for granted at times, they are what make our region unlike any other in the world. Today, we are taking a look at Eastern Market, a Detroit institution since it became the hub for the horse and buggy crowd to sell their farm-grown goods back in the 1800s. Now, Eastern Market remains a destination for fresh food, but it's also much more. It's a community hub, a cultural destination for Detroiters, Southeast Michiganders, and visitors from around the world. I'm Trevor Layton, and in this episode, I spoke with Dan Carmody, president of the Eastern Market Partnership. Dan shares how Eastern Market continues to evolve from a place where you could buy wholesale food once a week into a vibrant neighborhood that continues to provide access to healthy, affordable food, while also stewarding development that puts people and community first. Dan also talked about how Eastern Market has pivoted in 2020 to continue to provide its essential services while also maintaining safety during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, thank you so much, Dan Carmody, for joining us today on Region Ahead. Welcome. My pleasure. Good to see you guys. First off, could you tell us a little bit about uh, Eastern Market, the institution that a lot of people are familiar with, but my assumption is that even people who think they know about it probably don't quite know everything that you all do. We've been a nutritional hub in Detroit since 1891. So, you know, when the COVID crisis set in, people were just completely flabbergasted that we were remained open because in their mind, they can't separate Eastern Market from humongous crowds of the summertime. But we're open year round and many times a year, it's a slower pace, but every week, there's a dedicated number of residents of uh, the city and region that come to Eastern Market uh, to access you know, nutritionally dense food at a, at a wide variety of prices. So we operate the market, the Eastern Market Partnership, which is the NGO that has managed Eastern Market on the city of Detroit's behalf since 2006. Also, it's engaged in all, all matter of food access programs, food entrepreneurship programs, and a robust set of community development uh, practices because we serve as the economic development organization of record for the neighborhood or the Eastern Market District. So coming into the COVID crisis, we had actually spent the better part of the last five years first developing a strategy plan that we led, and then the City of Detroit and Detroit Economic Growth Corporation leading a, a very intensive framework implementation plan and that published in December. And so we were a, a battleground uh, for the new Detroit, where the issues related to gentrification were playing out in almost real time. While the setback that COVID has brought us isn't, I don't think those issues aren't gone, but they're a little bit lower priority. The worry that somehow rents were gonna escalate rapidly in the short term, I think are a bit slowed down just because of the fragility of so many uh, retail and restaurant markets in terms of storefront businesses. So we bought some time with regard to uh, those gentrification issues, 
but we pivoted mightily to both change the nature of the operation of the market to provide different ways for people to access nutritionally dense food in ways with less human contact, and also ramped up our efforts to distribute food at from free to low price points, uh, using a lot of uh, philanthropic and governmental support to get people the food they need to survive these tough economic times. That's a little bit of kind of our life over the last uh, couple of months. I was wondering, I know that you all have stayed uh, operational and very busy continuing as a, as a food hub. Um, and, you know, from the, from the time we set up uh, this, this interview and, and now, you know, they're the, the situation with the COVID-19 pandemic continues to evolve. You know, COVID crisis set in at a time when we transitioned from our sort of dormancy, uh, where we still are operating a Saturday market in the dead of winter. And we begin to open up other market days of the week. Uh, June 1st, we open up our Tuesday and Sunday seasonal markets. Starting in May, we open up a five night a week wholesale market, which isn't really affected by the COVID crisis because it's pallets to pallets. It's not people to people. But for us, it was uh, instead of going from 125 vendors and a few thousand customers, we went down to 80 vendors and a few hundred customers. And so we were able to achieve in the early days of the crisis remarkably safe social distancing by the sheer lack of traffic volume. And so we became very concerned that uh, our small merchants and Eastern Market when you boil it down, is, is really three things that make us Eastern market. First of all, we're a place where households in Southeast Michigan have gone to get affordable nutrient-dense food since 1891. We're a place where people with limited means have gone to start or grow their business, uh, food, but in more recent years, a wider variety of businesses as we brought on the Sunday street market, which is dedicated to non-food products. And we've been a place where everybody is welcome. And so we pride ourselves at the market at not being uh, some kind of glam food, uh, high-end uh, foodie experience. We, have, If you want exotic marrow mushrooms, and I'm telling you they're great and they're available, uh, you can get them at the market, but you should get here early in the day because they'll be gone. But if you're well-qualified financially to get um, food stamp benefits but don't want to take that help and you want to feed your own family, you can come later in the day and find uh, a case of tomatoes for a, a price that someone would pay for a lot fewer tomatoes, but that you're going to have to go through them and sort out which ones can still be eaten. A lot of markets wouldn't have that product. Uh, low cost um, has been a tradition of Eastern markets since we began. And while we've cut back on that amount of product, uh, we haven't eliminated it altogether. And we're, we're very proud of that, that we have a as full a spectrum as we can from the very best uh, to the very uh, lowest cost. And uh, the, the value relationships along that continuum make it possible for everybody to have a reason to come here because there's something for them to buy, regardless of their income. So that's important to us. So uh, as the COVID crisis cut in, our, our, our customer counts dropped precipitously. And we began to think, well, uh, people just want safer means to buy um, nutrient-dense food. So we quickly began a curbside service for our Saturday market. And uh, we continue it to this day. It peaked out at about 400 food boxes a week. We're down to about 250, and that seems to be holding. So that's a whole form of accessing the Saturday market that some people might prefer, at least until they feel much safer being in crowds. And so we now offer two channels to access the Saturday market. You can come and enjoy, you know, it is clearly not Eastern market like crowds, but it has the semblance of Eastern market. 
or you can go online and pre-order and pick up a box that's paid for and someone puts it in your trunk, you don't even have to get out of your car. Uh, we also began on Tuesdays to work with our businesses in the neighborhood, particularly those wholesale distribution and processing businesses that serve the hospitality or institutional sectors, schools and prisons and hospitals, because both of those uh, uh, markets were shattered by the stay-at-home orders as schools, universities, and bars and restaurants closed. So a lot of our suppliers to those industries were stuck with enormous amounts of inventory. And truly, our, our Tuesday market was born as one wholesaler who supplies restaurants across the state of Michigan was sitting on nearly $800,000 worth of fresh fruit and vegetables that needed to be found a home quickly. Well, many of them were given to Gleaners and Community, uh, Gleaners Community Food Bank and Forgotten Harvest, but we wanted to make sure it was possible for them to bring some money out of that investment so that they could survive. So we, we hustled uh, the day after the stay-at-home order. The first Tuesday market debuted, and uh, it peaked at about 500 cars uh, and large per-car order. People found they could buy retail at wholesale prices, and, and we actually merged that into our normal seasonal Tuesday market today. So this is the June uh, 9th today. The, the last of the drive-through markets was last week. It, it was declining as people were returning to normal, but we, we developed a real solid core of people that really liked being able to access large quantities at reasonable prices very conveniently. Uh, we, ha we had a lot of neighborhood groups sending you know one person a week to buy for a lot of different people. And so uh, we're working with those uh, wholesale businesses that are now just starting to recover their food and beverage or institutional markets. We're working with them to go to their own curbside pickup in front of their brick and mortar business. So we will promote that uh, with over the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll turn the page on that. We'll still have the Tuesday market. But you come down, do some socially distanced shopping at the Tuesday market, but also you could pick up orders from some of the you know, larger food processing where you can get a case of bacon or, or a case of steaks at prices that restaurants pay. And so we think it'll actually make Eastern Market District stronger as a as a off Saturday destination by being able to merge some of these new forms of commerce. Okay, you, you mentioned food access programs and efforts. Uh, it's my understanding that uh, Eastern Market is, is particularly active uh, among farmers markets and in, in following up on, on opportunities to provide food access. I think you've done something pretty unique during COVID-19 um, accessing a, a federal program. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, seasonally, uh, we would operate in, in a normal year between 25 and 30, what we call Easter Market Farm Stands, where we would send Easter Market Food and Health Fellows out into neighborhoods or hospitals to sell fruits and vegetables, accessing a lot of uh, incentive programs like Double Up Food Bucks and SNAP benefits. We'll do some of that this year, but increasingly, uh, there was a lot of support from philanthropy and from the government around making free food available to people in, in a variety of formats. And so we took some of our, our food access dollars, met with our funders and started distributing on a weekly basis, bulk fresh fruits and vegetables to group homes and senior centers, uh, places that needed more nutritionally dense food and, and many of the residents didn't have the income to support the purchase of them. And so that began kind of small. I think we're still, that's kind of a couple of hundred food boxes a week there. You take the three to 300 to 400 we're doing on Saturdays and then the USDA came up with a new program, and we were fortunate enough to uh, be selected 
And so now we're doing 2,000 food boxes a week for USDA support. And those are distributed through community partners uh, free, just fruits and vegetables. And we've had to revamp some facilities. Uh, we've had a capital project that we were going to build out five production suites to support entrepreneurship. We converted one of those to a cold storage facility because with summer coming and those programs not going away anytime soon, if we didn't have some additional cold storage, we'd run the risk of uh, losing some crops to food safety concerns. And, and, and so, you know, at least for the interim, we're going to have a more dedicated cold storage space. And if we can't use it, we're sure that people like Forgotten Harvest and Gleaners will benefit by having convenient access uh, that's near to their locations as well. So there isn't one aspect of what we do that it hasn't affected us. Uh, in our work in the community supporting Eastern market businesses, we were able to get support uh, for both landlords uh, as well as for, for tenants uh, so that some of those small businesses, we gave out, I believe in the end, 24 uh, grants from, that were funded by Citizens Bank of anywhere between one and $3,000 to support businesses during the, the, their stay at home time. Landlords received support from NEI and, and through the Invest Detroit. I think seven landlords ended up getting, I think, ten dollars to $20,000 each, where they could then turn around and provide free rent to uh, their tenants. Our work continues as we reopen. The city of Detroit's been aggressive in trying to provide uh, public space for bars and restaurants to expand seating, also in reserving um, parking spaces for uh, curbside operations for restaurants. And we'd like to expand that to include retailers and these food process and distribution business we talked about. So we're trying to come up with a, a standardized curbside pickup program where you can go on your iPhone and, and you can the sites are all numbered and you can click on a site and, and the link will come up to the online ordering system. And you can plan your trip to Easter market around, you know, making it easy to do curbside pickup. So, you know, uh, it really crossed into so many, many uh, different uh, arenas that we work in. As you mentioned, providing access to nutrient-rich foods is, is core to, to what you all do at Eastern Market. But one of the other things that a lot of us think about are, are some of the the signature events that that take place in, in and around the market. You know, one that normally would have just come and gone is Flower Day, for instance. I, I'm wondering, you, you talked about how you're pivoting, and, and I know that's no exception. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some examples of how you've changed course. So let's talk about, let's talk about that in two different flavors. One, Flower Day itself, and then all the other community and civic events that happen in our market sheds outside of normal market operations. So Flower Day is the, the one single biggest day of the year, weekend of the year at Eastern Market, upwards of 150,000 people over two days. And that crowd obviously wasn't going to happen this year. And so uh, we, we, we freaked out early on because so many of our flower growers grow flowers in the spring and then they turn to grow fruits and vegetables, vegetables mostly, as the growing season goes by. And so if they don't have their year-round income stream normalized by having flower income some of them may not be planting vegetables this year. So we kind of freaked out. We sort of initially decided to delay Flower Day by a couple of weeks. And then we also decided to implement a virtual ordering system, just like we were talking about with those wholesale distribution businesses. There's now a, a platform called eastermarketflowers.com where you can go on. And right now we have five of the uh, flower growers of the 55 that might come to Flower Day. So it isn't nearly the selection you would see but we did it over three weeks. I don't know what sales were. This was the last Sunday, just previous. 
I know we did uh, over $40,000 the first two weeks. So not a replacement to Flower Day, uh, but it grew. And then crowds began returning to the market. So we began experiencing uh, much more Eastern market-like crowds, nothing like a Flower Day. But we, our flower growers that came to market on Saturday starting some, selling some decent product, so much so that three weeks ago, uh, the Detroit police told us that we really needed to start limiting access to the market uh, because we, people weren't able to social distance because there were simply too many people on market. And so one of the joys and one of the attributes of Eastern Market that we love is that it's accessible from 300 different directions. It's five buildings, it's, it's multiple parking lots. You can come at us uh, straight line from the nearest parking space you can find, which on busy Saturdays is sometimes not very close. Uh, but we knew that the only way we're gonna able to control total attendance was to have the ability to restrict the total number of people on the market at any one time. And so we did uh, three weeks ago begin with a fencing regime and limiting the, the access points to the market that as we've kind of learned how to operate it, it's become a, little, a lot more user-friendly as we've kind of gone by. Didn't wanna do that, we're forced to do that so that we didn't flood the market with so many people that social distancing was impossible. Now there are cer certainly many places in the market where people pass by each other, moving pretty quickly, growing, getting closer than six foot. We're happy to report that you know mask, mask wearing, face covering at the market is almost 100%. We do require it upon entry, and we try to enforce it as best we can. And there are some there are some holdouts that uh, are not going to be masked, and, and they're they're kind of pose a fairly difficult crowd control problem. So uh, we do the best we can, and you know our customers will return as they feel safe. Some already do, and some won't for a while until people feel more comfortable. We're not going to see a spike as we've kind of been left left to go out again into the real world. And so, uh, you know, uh, we don't like having a fence. Uh, our vendors, our customers are resilient, hardy folk. And I can say after three weeks, it's, it's not nearly as disruptive as it was that first week. So we're learning, we're adapting. Each week is different. We try to figure out how we can best serve our customers and our vendors. It has taught us many new things. It's, I think, brought us together a little bit more, too, as, as a community. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the one of the interesting things in some ways where, you know, I've heard a lot of people say it. It's not a unique or original thought, but in some ways we're physically farther apart, but it's making the effort to, to try to be close together um, has, has made us really intentional about that and, and perhaps grown our appreciation for it. Um, so silver lining there, perhaps. Moving on to other events at Eastern Market, I, you know, I just saw before I got on the line here, the formal notification, like there's such a wide variety of wonderful community events at Eastern Market. The Detroit Festival of Books was supposed to have its fourth annual uh, event on the 21st of June, I believe. And it's become a very popular event. You know, it, it draws thousands of people, just like Flower Day, just too many people to have and, and try to expect you could maintain social distancing. And, um, you know, a little bit, some of these events are quite frankly, less essential than, than food and flowers. I would, I would argue that flowers are an essential good. And, and what we saw with the flower growers are, I didn't finish that story. Our initial concern that they would be harmed by COVID turned out to be anything but the truth. The stay at home order actually one of the few things people could do is spend time and money on their yards, and they did, and they have, and flower growers went from having 
one of their worst Aprils ever, nobody sold hardly any Easter lilies, to their best May ever. And so many of our flower growers who were down $60,000 going into May were plus $100,000 or more coming out of May. I've said often that there are two ways you can tell whether you're in a recession or a depression. In a recession, you sell more flowers and you sell more meals at casual restaurants, assuming you're not locked down in quarantine. In a depression, uh, when those sales, you know, people trade down from taking vacations and eating in white tablecloth restaurants to more affordable means of entertaining. And when you're in a depression, when you know that casual restaurant sales are declining and nobody's buying flowers, then they're saving their money for for food, for energy, and for, for transportation. So uh, we're in recession, but so far we're not in depression. People bought a lot of flowers. And the good news about all of our events, we've hardly had any cancellations. People have simply canceled their 2020 event and scheduled it in 2021. So we've, we've kept, you know, I, the events have been canceled for this year, but they, they're still are preferring to keep their dates at Eastern markets. So it's become an in, important revenue source for us. It helps us keep our rental rates to our makers, whether it's the artisans on su Sunday or the, the food makers and farmers on Saturday. Uh, it's, it's allowed us to keep those rents reasonable. And so it's really important revenue for the organization. We are a nonprofit. Uh, people have stepped up. They've appreciated the support we're giving the community. Our spring appeal was its best ever. And we've enjoyed good support beyond the federal government's food box program from many of our philanthropic partners who have, who have appreciated our, our pivoting to serve the community in, in a different set of ways than we were before. So, you know, our, our, our motto is we, we try to serve up a Detroit that's healthier, wealthier, and happier. You know, the, the COVID crisis really revealed work we've been doing since 2009 on food access where diet-related diseases, be it hypertension or diabetes or obesity, were those pre-existing conditions which led to two, two terribly high fatality rates among uh, particularly low-income African-American populations. And so we, we see it as a watershed moment to work, to, to continue our work to improve food access so that those vulnerable households in Detroit have easier access to those nutrient dense foods to be able to build their immune systems and resist the COVID um, virus. Uh, and then, you know, wealthier, uh, a lot of work is around food entrepreneurship and, and, and growing the number of jobs uh, in Eastern market. You know, we, we, we have both small companies, but we have a lot of established companies as well. We're really one of the last food districts of our kind left in the country. Most of them this close to a city center has been priced out of business for decades. Uh, and we actually, this plan with the city just allowed us to imagine a 75 acre addition to the Eastern Market District with a new generation, more established food companies. We had three projects pre-COVID. We still have three projects going forward post-COVID though at a much slower pace. So we, we hope to get three shovels in the ground this year. Looks like we might get one or two, but not three. So, and then in those small businesses that we're trying to incubate and accelerate, uh, again, food is a basic industry. We found after the 2008 recession that food businesses hardly skip to beat. People have to eat. If you're not eating, the economy is in really, really tough shape. So we continue to want to be uh, an employment center and build the wealth of Detroit, both by increasing number of jobs, but also increasing number of small businesses, which total over 600 between 
those that sell under the sheds and in brick and mortar around around the market. And then lastly, uh, happier. And happier to us is that appreciation for diversity and that, that tough issue that's come up, uh, you know, with regard to our uh, the structural racism this country uh, has kept pushing away. And uh, we at Eastern Market, you know, we have a lot of work to do ourselves, but we're adamant that this place remain a place that everybody feels welcome and we have more to do. Uh, we will, uh, we had kind of debated what to do about 4th of July. It falls on a Saturday this year. We we're inclined to run a, a market, shorten up the day a little bit so people could go on to their picnics. As hard as our growers and food makers have been doing pivoting, that maybe it was a good thing to, to take some time off. But moreover, it is the birth of our country and it's a time and maybe everybody would benefit from rather than racing around the morning of the 4th of July, maybe before we go to our celebrations, we spend a little bit of time ruminating and, and thinking about what the promises were we made as we began as a nation and those that we haven't kept and what, what can we do to make this country a better place. And so we'll be going dark on, on 4th of July to give people a bit of a chance to think things through a little bit better and to, dedicate themselves to do the things that need to be done to make this country uh, what it should be. Very well said. We'll be sure to collect all of our picnic supplies well in advance and uh, not get caught out on the 4th. Uh, well, I think you've anticipated mo most of my my questions. Um, so there's there's not much else that I have to ask you. You've kind of given us a good good sense of, of where things are now and, and where you think they're headed uh, throughout, throughout the rest of the years. Is there Anything else that, that you want to share about, about your expectations or what's coming next? You know, people are, there's a new normal. People are sorting it out. We have our first wedding booked uh, in Shed 2. Uh, it'll be about 50 people. Our first wedding that's been booked that's going to take place. Uh, that's happening on July 3rd. The Shed structures are actually uh, for places that are limited in how many customers they can have, say gyms and kickboxing classes or yoga or Zumba, uh, we do those latter two in our Tuesday markets. Those will start up, those, the Tuesday started this week. The classes I think start either next week or the week after, but our sheds provide a place where you can have 50 or 60 people um, doing exercise together in a way that is socially distant. Same way, uh, you know, uh, using some of our sheds for outdoor dining or, or drive-in movies where we can achieve social distancing Maybe not the thousands that we're used to seeing at Eastern Market. Maybe it's just hundreds or even sometimes tens, but it, it's a way to take advantage of these fairly airy, open, covered structures that with a lot of garage doors, um, it's a pleasant place to be in a, on a hot summer night. So we're looking forward to figuring out how we deploy our assets just slightly differently and hope that as the years go, year goes by that you know we'll, we'll see larger crowds we can accommodate into the fall and winter months. So, but at this point, um, we're not taking too many gambles uh, or bets on what that might look like. Smart, I think. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Dan. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, anytime, guys. This has been SEMCOG's Region Ahead. Thank you for joining us as we consider the important issues that affect Southeast Michigan. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can learn more about SEMCOG's regional planning work, as well as what we are doing to support local governments, 
during the COVID-19 pandemic at SEMCOG.org. If you're interested in learning more about Eastern Market, visit their website at easternmarket.org. Thanks again to Dan Carmody for joining us. Be safe, be well.